Silver Valley Church. It is so good to be back as Pastor Rob mentioned. When you're invited once, it's like an honor. When you're invited twice, it's amazing because like they don't think that you're a heretic. But when you're invited a third time, that means like your family. And I am honored to be here. I am excited to be back to the state that exported the greatest piece of my life. And that is my husband, Matt Oltoff, Minnesota native. And so I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having Pastor Rob and Becca. And not just thank you for inviting me, but thank you for creating a space in the middle of a crazy season and a crazy time that allows the presence of God to be tangibly felt. And so when I was thinking about uh, being invited back, I was excited because it made me start thinking about the power of an ask, the power of an ask and made me really start to contemplate that we have to be careful about who we're asking and what we're asking for. I say that because uh, if you're not careful, you can get something that you don't want. In fact, uh, my sister, I have a twin sister and I, and in high school, um, we began to work out together and we were doing uh, circuit training in high school and um, uh, we, were, we would watch television and she would do ab crunches. And then I would do this thing. If any child of the nineties knew this thing, it's blue, co blue coils with like a red center rim um, endorsed by a woman by the name of Suzanne Summers entitled the Thigh Master. Does anyone out there on any of our campuses or online know what a Thigh Master is? If you are watching online, put it in the chat box. If you are at church, you can go ahead and say, amen. I don't have to hear you. The spirit of God hears you. You can testify. Well, this was a hot commodity in our house. It has given me the ever elusive desire of having a thigh gap. Now I know the men do not understand that at all, but I am a woman of Hispanic descent, which means I will never have a thigh gap. But my sister and I began to work out and she would do ab crunches and then I would do the thigh master and then we would switch. Well, I had finished my section with the abs, and so I went over to her, I said, hey, let me have the thigh master. And she ignored me. I said, Jasmine, let me have the thigh master. She ignored me. I said, Jasmine, let me have the thigh master. She picked up the blue handles and with the red center rubber coil hit me right on the forehead and said, there, there's your thigh master. I was enraged. I felt a rage inside of me I have never experienced in my life. I was so angry. I went to the kitchen, I opened up the knife drawer and I picked up, picked out the biggest butcher knife. And I was chasing my sister around the house. Y'all, I'm savage, okay? I'm like savage to the next level. She was terrified. She was running around the house. Finally, I chased her into the family room and she had nowhere to go. Her back was up against the wall. Her eyes are as big as saucers. And she says, don't come one step closer. And I said, why, what are you gonna do? And I'm holding the knife up above my head. And then this is what she does. And out of her mouth flailing at epic proportion is a loogie the size of a planet that lands right on my forehead. It is dangling from my forehead like a dislodged eye and I'm screaming, no! If you are not careful for what you ask for, you might be asking the wrong person for the wrong thing. As we're gonna see today in scripture, we have the ability to ask the right person for the right thing at the right time. And man that we will discover by the name of blind Bartimaeus is going to ask God for something. Now prayers, communication, a, commu a conversation with God, prayers are our version of talking to him, getting to communicate with a good God and having him hear our pleas, our requests. I firmly believe that the word that we're gonna discover today is gonna to have a significant impact not just at one location, but at all eight locations. And even for those that are watching online in Minnesota and around the globe. 
Why? Not because my word is good, but the word of God is good. And I want the church to awaken in this time of a global pandemic and racial injustice and a crazy political season to rise up and say, no, 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 I'm not gonna pray basic, plivy, anemic prayers. God, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, amen. No, 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 no. We are gonna be a church that rises on this occasion and begins to ask God for crazy, supernatural, awesome, impossible things. I know I'm savage because I pick up butcher knives, but my savagery as a teen has not left me, okay? And it's not because I'm dark skinned and wear hoop earrings. I am savage because I believe that God has placed a desire in me that to, to wake in the church, to invite the church for us to be savage in our prayers, yeah. savage in our ask, savage in our desires. Now, savage is a word that like is being flo- tossed around in different areas of the nation, but I just want to clarify and put us all on the same page. So when I say savage, I'm not talking about the Merriam-Webster's dictionary version of savage. The savage I'm talking about is out of my favorite dictionary, and it is the Urban Dictionary, which says this. Savage is a word used to describe people willing to do what no one else will do. They have no regard what other people think of them or their actions. That's who I want us to be spiritually to not give a care about what other people think, their skepticism, their doubt, or their indifference. Can we be a church that is called to awaken a nation and dare to ask God for impossible things? Um, I want us to be willing to take a step out of faith and say, not on my watch, not on my time. I believe in a good God. So if you brought your Bible, open, open them up and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. If you are a note taker, uh, uh, the title of today's message is, what do you want? We're gonna open up with a quick word of prayer. God, I pray that you bless every single person who is listening to this, whether on YouTube or on podcast or live at church. Will you bless them, Lord? Will you have a word in here for them? Will you speak to them? In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Okay, in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46, it says this. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with the large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now I'm gonna pause because my fear and my hesitation is that when we read this, we might go back to maybe hearing this story in vacation Bible school or in Sunday school. And we read it like it's an epic biopic. Oh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's a blind man. And I want us to jump into the pages of scripture and go there in the theater of our mind of the desperation that this man felt. Because if not, then the Bible becomes a book antiquated and not relevant to our day to day. I want us to go there because scripture says this word shouted all the more. That word shouted in in, in the original language was the same word used for the demon possessed man who was outside of the tombs, shrieking, possessed by demons and cutting himself. So it's not, uh, excuse me, Jesus, hey, don't wanna convince you, inconvenience you. No, 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 it is a shriek. Jesus, son of David! Have mercy on me. Go there. And people told him, shut up. Be quiet. God, you're so annoying. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Look at verse 49. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up. 
on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. I've always been intrigued with stories where Jesus interacts with crazy people because what I have seen is desperate times call for desperate measures. I love the people who struggle to get into the presence of God because what we see is the greater the struggle, the more powerful the miracle. I love that. Take a look at all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see that people who really struggle to get into the presence of God earn some sort of encourage, some sort of favor, some sort of attention. And this is what we see here. But first there is a question that's asked. And that's the same question I'm gonna ask all of us this morning. What do you want Jesus to do for you? In verse 46, it says they came to Jericho. And I wanna pause here because I love this passage because it's a throwback. Anybody who is a good Sunday school kid, you might be familiar with the great walls of Jericho. So what we see in the Old Testament is God was doing miraculous stuff in the Old Testament, but then we flip it and in the New Testament, we see God doing same supernatural, amazing things for his people. You know what that shows me? If God did it then, he could do it again. Amen at all of our locations. This is a beautiful thing. We're gonna see an Old Testament miracle, a New Testament miracle. And I believe that God's gonna do it today for so many of our people who have faith to call out to God and ask for him for what he wants. Now, it's interesting that the scripture in verse 46, they listed that his name was Bartimaeus. Now, this is interesting and all the word nerds are gonna appreciate this, but when people with an infirmity, or an ailment were listed. It was usually by their illness and not their identity. A man with a withered hand, a woman with an issue of blood, a demon possessed man. But yet this fool is named. People knew blind Bart. He got, he got credence in the Bible. That is amazing. Now this is interesting because his name Bar Timaeus, Bar in Hebrew means son of, Timaeus means honorable. So he is the son of an honorable man. Well, this is where the narrative flips. And this is where I want us to go into the pages of scripture and have this relevant for us today. Because what would it feel like if your father was a man of well reputation, honorable, esteemed in the community, and yet you feel like you are outside? Maybe that might resonate with a couple people in here today where you hear just at Thanksgiving dinner, you could have been, you should have been, you would have been but you're not. I want us to get into the life and times of blind Bartimaeus because cultural context, if you were blind, you couldn't hang out with certain people. You couldn't go certain places. You were relegated to the outside of the city. And scripture tells us that he was begging. A very common position of beggars even today in Israel and in Europe is to sit cross-legged. Why is that? Because theologians believe that there would be catching cloth, a cloth that would be laid over so that the blind, the lame, the maimed, the deaf, the mute would be able to catch what people dropped for them. It would be coinage. It would be finances. It might even be food. So go there in the theater of your mind. Bartimaeus is begging in a position beneath humanity, asking people, I can't see you, but can you see me? Can you provide for me? Your leftovers and your crumbs will be my provision. And all of a sudden he hears that Jesus is coming. He's heard about this man named Jesus. Oh, there's been chitter. There's been chit chat. Oh, there's been chatter and chit chat all about this man named Jesus that's coming into town and here's Jesus. 
So what does he do? The best thing he knew what to do. He didn't have his sight, so he used his voice. Jesus, son of David. The term son of David, it's a messianic term. It is an identification in him in saying Jesus, son of David. It is like he is acknowledging Jesus. I believe that you're Messiah. I believe that you're the promised one. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That word in Aramaic is heal me. And when other people told him to sit down and to shut up and no one's listening anymore, he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want us to resonate with this man because though we might not be physically blind, I don't know about you, I've been in a season where I feel like though I have my sight, I can't see what's next. I feel vulnerable. I feel like everyone could see the things that I'm bumping into. And so my heart goes out to blind Bartimaeus. Look at verse 47. It's Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus was just passing by. And as you are here, either watching online or any of the campuses, the presence of God is here because scripture says where two or three are gathered, he is there in the midst. And we have to be willing to do things that no one else is willing to do to get the attention of God to say, I believe, I believe that you can, I believe that you will. Will you turn your gracious eye to me? If you only do what you always done, you will only get what you've always had. What are you willing to do? How desperate are you to get an audience with God? Look at verse 48. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. And maybe in this season of life, you feel like people are shutting you up. Oh, it's your same issue. I know you've been praying about it for 10 years. Get a new issue. Here's a tissue for your issue. Oh, I can't believe. No one wants to hear you talk about this anymore. Just get a job, okay? We give, we kind of like placate people. We tell them to be quiet. But this is what I want us to remember and learn out of our brother, Blind Bartimaeus. Let your desire outweigh the haters' discouragement. For the people that are saying, oh, you'll never go to college. You know what you do? Invite them now to your college graduation. For the people that are like, you're gonna get divorced because everyone in our family gets divorced and their daddy got divorced and his daddy got divorced. You know what you do? You tell them, I will invite you to my 50th year anniversary. To the person that's like, oh, you're never gonna get that girl. She's too cute. She's a 10, you're a two. You say, watch me walk her down the aisle like a G, okay? And here's the thing, here's the thing. We have to be savage in our approach to talk to God, to cry out to God and do things that no one else will do, even in the waiting. God doesn't promise us when he's gonna answer. There's three ways that God answers us. Yes, no, and wait. So if you haven't got a yes and you haven't got a no, brother and sister, it's just a wait. Now I wanna pull a page out of King David's playbook. And we are told that King David, he was savage even in the waiting. Look at what Psalms 40 verse one says. I waited and waited and waited some more patiently knowing God would come through for me. Then at last he bent down and listened to my cry. It is the same word that is used that we see blind Bartimaeus. Look at verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. I love this because this lets me know you don't have to have sight to be seen. You don't have to have sight to be seen. There is one person who is looking at you and what we need is Jesus to cast his generous, gracious eye upon us. And here's what I absolutely love in this portion is that though blind Bartimaeus didn't have his sight, he used what he did have. 
His voice. Don't come at me with what you don't have. Come at me with what you do have. Do you have a mustard seed of faith? Do you have two fish and five loaves? What do you have and work with what you got? You have everything you need to be seen by God. And let me be very clear, church. It is not your pastor, though they are great. It is not this team or this church that is gonna save you. It is not your therapist or your counselor. It's not your kids. It's not your spouse. It's not your education. No, the only thing that could see and save you is Jesus Christ. But we as a church and your pastors say, stand up, cheer up. The master is calling you. That's the voices that you want speaking in your life. Which is a side note. When you hear the still, quiet voice of Jesus calling you, don't ignore it. Get up, dust yourself off. And scripture said, throwing his cloak off. This is a little tidbit and a hint. If you are a note taker, this is what I want you to jot down. If you want God to move for you, you have to move towards God. The action responsibility is on us. You want him to move for you? Move, move for her. You want him to move to us? Then we must move to him. Let me back this up with scripture. Look at verse 50. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Now remember, the catching cloth was used to catch the tidbits, the morsels, the finances that were gonna be his living, his sustenance, his security. And what did he do? He threw it off. He didn't need that. He was not gonna be met with the needs of people's maybe overt or forced generosity. He was gonna go to the way maker. He was gonna go to the miracle worker. He was gonna go to the provider. Are you willing? Are you ready to move towards God when he calls you? Because we have to be a church that doesn't sing about God or think about God or talk about God or listen about God. No, we have to be a church that obeys God. For the note takers, if you want God to move for you, you have to know what you want. Look at verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, which means teacher. I want to see. Bartimaeus had an impossible request. Impossible. And I firmly believe that there are people here and online with impossible requests. Now, he didn't ask for global warming to stop. He didn't ask for a mansion. See, Jesus knew what he needed, but Jesus asked Bartimaeus what he wanted. Now, I wanna pause because I don't want someone to sit there and think like, oh, this is erroneous doctrine. This name it and claim it, health and wealth. All I'm doing is highlighting a passage of scripture where Jesus listens to what a man wants. And I believe that he wants the same thing for us today. So the question I ask to you is, what do you want? My hesitation and my fear is that the church remains silent because we're afraid of what other people will think about us. We're afraid to respond. We're afraid that God will not answer. So we say nothing like good Christians. But if we aren't living the life we imagined, it's because we didn't imagine the life that we'd want to live. Can you envision the life that God has for you? A life that is abundant, a life that is full. And oftentimes we get mad at God and frustrated with God. And maybe one of the reasons why God doesn't come through is because you haven't articulated what it is that you want. How can God give you what you want if you don't even know what you want? Let's work this out theologically. If God does give it to you, but you didn't articulate it or know it, how will you know that God gave you what you wanted? 
Case in point. Okay, I wanted to be a lawyer as a kid, whatever. Too much SUV. Um, so many of us don't ask God for what we want because we're afraid of being let down. We're afraid of like, well, if someone knows that this is what I want and doesn't come through, then God's gonna look you know, powerlessness and, or that he doesn't like me or, so what we do is we lower our expectations. We like blind Bartimaeus are stumbling in life and saying, God, I know there's 8 billion people in the world and there's a global pandemic and so much going on, but, but, but could you give me a cane to stumble around in life better instead of asking God for what he can do? And that is give us sight. Have you ever found yourself saying, I can't do this anymore. This is too much. I feel like I've lost my way. Um, two years ago, we just celebrated two years at the Father's House, Orange County. And um, Pastor Rob, I was hoping you'd clap, clap for me because church planting has been so hard. Okay guys, it has been so hard. So two years in and six venues, six venues. Now I know that there's a lot of campuses that are just popping up here. And so any of the mobile campuses know kind of how crazy it's been, but you know, it's difficult when you walk into your venue on a Sunday morning that you rent an events center that you rent and you discover um, alcohol bottles, drug paraphernalia, razors, weaves. Oh, we found all of that. Um, but our favorite discovery was when we opened up a cleaning closet and discovered that there was people living in the venue. We had homeless people living in the venue. We were actually next door to an Indian curry house. So we had all sorts of amazing scents when we walked into church, but this is my favorite Sunday. My favorite Sunday is when we discovered that on Saturday, the thunder from down under, AKA Magic Mike and all his friends were on the same stage that I was going to preach on. And if you don't know what Magic Mike is or the thunder from down under, God bless you, Saint, God bless you. I walked in on that stage. I had Lysol in one hand, anointing oil on the other, and I'm wiping up body oil on the floor from people gyrating on the place that I'm about to preach the word of God. And that moment I'm hunkered down saying, God, you picked the wrong girl. I can't do this. This is not what you said. What happens when what God has said isn't what you see? What happens when what you hear isn't your here? I remember being so desperate for a building and crying out to God and saying, we are like the wandering tribe of Israel, except they at least had a tent, God, okay? We don't even have that. And I think many of us are afraid to ask for God to move in big and mighty ways because we're somehow afraid that we're gonna hurt his reputation. I was afraid to make bold, audacious claims to our church because I was afraid that if God didn't come through, then I would either be a heretic, I'd lack faith, or maybe we weren't called, I don't know. But my fear is that I'm seeing so many good, God-fearing Christians praying small, itty-bitty little prayers, trying to suffocate God into this little box so that no one makes a mess and everything's tidy and we all say hallelujah and love the Lord. But I believe that God is trying to break us out of our small dreams, our small desires, our small and lift you up to his plan, to his dreams, to his purpose. Verse 51 says, what do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, I want to see. Do you know what you want? Or are you getting leftovers of what other people are leaving behind? We as a church have a God who wants to hear what it is that we want. If you don't know what you want, you're gonna get what you don't want. 
But here's the problem. Some people are gonna hear this message and they'll be like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I want a Ferrari and a great, you know, girl that's like 20 years younger or like some single chick is like, give me a Boaz who's like 75 and rich. You know, like we begin to ask for these really crazy things. And this is why James in James chapter four, verse two, he says, you have not because you ask not. When you ask, you do not receive because you're asking with wrong motives that you might spend what you get on your pleasures. So he's saying, when you ask, you're asking for the wrong things. So we usually default to verse three and we say, well, the heart is wicked above all else. It's nefarious. I don't wanna ask God for things because this is so selfish, but we ignore verse two that says, you have not because you ask not. The motivation is secondary. That's the, that's the secondary thing. We don't have because we don't ask. When you know what you want, have the courage to ask God. And this leads us my last and final learning that we see out of this narrative, when you want God to move, delight in him, no matter the outcome. It's not on your timeline. Look at verse, uh, Psalm 37, four, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you fall in love with God, he places a desire in your heart, in your soul. He will put passion there that he wants to fulfill. So the question I'm asking is, are you close enough to God that he could shape your heart? Are you willing enough to say, God, this is what I want, but what do you want? Because when we have a conversation, when we are savage in our conversations with the Lord, he begins to shape and shift our heart. Look at verse 52. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. What if your faith healed your marriage? What if your faith brought someone to their faith? What if your faith opened up your spiritual eyes? What if your faith could qualify you? And I say these because the more that I talk about this and push people into ask God because you have not, because you ask not, I begin to see people get jobs that they are unqualified for. I see marriages come back together. I see wayward children come back to the faith. And let me tell you something. I stand before this church today and this church is a marker in my heart. This community is a marker in my heart as an, a visual of what God has called us to do in Southern California. I stand before this church today when we didn't have a venue and rolling over one Monday morning in tears and telling my husband, we did not hear from God. We made a mistake. We are not church planners. My husband said, Bianca, we have tilled the ground. We've planted the seeds. We've removed the rocks. We've pulled out the weeds. God's gonna send the rain. And I believe that because what I heard in my spirit, not an audible voice, what I heard in my spirit is our labor is in vain and left God sends the rain. The very next day, my husband called me from a movie theater, an abandoned movie theater in downtown Brea, downtown Bird Street, which is in central Orange County, very, very expensive. And he said, hey B, I think you should come down here and check out this venue. He said, don't get excited. It's really expensive. We're not gonna be able to afford it. Clearly I'm the one with faith. So I walk into the venue and it's this old abandoned movie theater. And I look to the right and there is a 75 foot painting of the 1943 movie of Gene Kelly singing in the rain. And I heard the spirit of God so quicken in my spirit and say, this is the rain that you wanted. I was all up in there like, this is our home. Bring in the couches, pull back the curtains. This is our home. And my husband's like, Bianca, slow your roll. We don't know. I said, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provide the righteous prayers of a person availeth much. Come on, church. I get to stand before you today and let you know that a venue, we could not afford a venue, 50,000 square feet in Orange County, California, so far beyond what we could ask, think, hope, or imagine 
is ours. I get to go to a home because God asked, what do you want? So church, the question I ask today is that if Jesus walked these rows, if Jesus was passing by you like he was in Jericho, what would you tell him? If he were to ask you, what do you want? Well, scripture says where two or three are gathered, he is there in our midst. So the presence of God is roaming in this room and even in yours online and asking you, what could I do for you that you can't do for yourself? What can I do for you that would prove to you that I see you? Would we be a church that screams out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Let's pray. Spirit of living God, we invite you into this space to have full residence. We ask for the supernatural gift of faith, faith for our brothers and sisters, for healing, for provision, for salvation, for even the supernatural God. We are believing that your spirit is on the move, that revival is yet to be had. Our greatest days are yet ahead for the United States of America. I believe Lord God, that you are gonna do something that so blows our mind. Will you quicken it in our spirit, the ability, the confidence, and the power to call out to you with our greatest need. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen.